With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. A huge thank you to all of you who have sent us really nice emails and things on social media about watching the return of us to Motor Trend. We started with some reruns because we're still finishing Season 7 editorially, but we also had three Z06s in red, white, and blue, and it was starting on July 4th, and we just thought, that really is the episode we ought to start with. Thanks so many of you for writing in about that. that We're back. We're back on Motor Trend Cable Channel. One last clarification. Actually, last. I'll do it a dozen more times. (laughs) Who are we kidding? We are on the Motor Trend Cable Channel. Motor Trend does not own our show. If they would like to bring a big dump truck of cash to the middle of Paul's house while we're recording the podcast, we'd have a conversation. Bring it. But no, seriously, uh, we are still independent producers on that channel, so we own the show, so it is not on the Motor Trend app as a result. But the good news there is we send everything to Amazon and Vimeo, so we'll be having the new episodes up there as soon as we possibly can. But new episodes don't start for a couple of weeks. This Saturday will be the Super Piece, Supra versus M2 versus Cayman from last season. That this one is, is replaying, cool. so that's going to be fun. Enjoyed that piece. But we are back on TV, which is really cool, and uh, – the, the new episodes for season seven, I'm excited about. You and I disagree a lot in season seven. I think it's kind of cool. You keep noting this. You keep telling me that we've disagreed a lot. Well, I mean, which, we, I just, mean we do in the past we, on for other sure, episodes. For sure, yeah, yeah. And we do naturally. That's just kind of, mm-hmm. we're different people, obviously. We have different sensibilities. Really? Interesting. Weird. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, Captain Obvious. All right. right. Well, we, we. I like that, uh, you know, we naturally disagree, but ultimately we keep coming to the same focal point, and that is ultimate you know, experience in driving. And, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that kind of thing. So, I'm, I'm. But we just have some this. episodes this season where you and I pulled similar conclusions out of cars, but how it struck us and what we liked and what we walked away with as favorites was quite different, and that was interesting to see. All right. Because a lot of times we pull the same stuff out of cars, we go, well, yeah, that's that's where we all should be. But this time we got divergent, which I'm pretty excited about. All right, right on. Well, happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We've got an interesting car debate. Well, actually, first of all, Topic Tuesday yeah. is from Daniel, Big Dan 704, who asks us what makes a supercar. You and I have had a debate uh, about right. what makes a sports car, but we've never actually yeah. bumped it up yeah. into what makes a supercar and what you know what's the difference between a supercar and a hypercar. So we're going to be discussing that for the Topic Tuesday. And also, the car debate is Tom W. in Frankfurt, Germany who writes to us asking for a friend. (laughs) He works for a European OEM in Frankfurt, Germany, and he is asking about the future for his car ownership. Mm -hmm. And he's got some pretty interesting things that he's thinking about. DriveShare is the coolest online car sharing platform you've ever heard of. It's simple. By connecting car owners with renters, DriveShare unlocks the joy of driving in some very special cars. That way, renters can find cars that bring out their driving joy in every moment, while owners earn extra cash to fund their passion. To sign up, cruise over to driveshare.com or download their app for iOS and Android. That's driveshare.com. So this Topic Tuesday came across the email. Daniel, thank you for writing. Big Dan 704 was pondering about what makes the difference between a supercar and a hypercar. Mm-hmm. He thought about trucks and SUVs, and do we classify the super SUVs and the hyper SUVs? How, how do we stop. classify Please this? Stop. Daniel, yeah. you've been listening to the podcast. It's very funny. I like it. So the Urus, the Audi RS Q8, the mm-hmm. X5M, the Jeep Trackhawk, and the Cayenne Turbo are all supercar quick, almost hypercar quick. It's ridiculous is what they are, yeah. 
Now, granted, you're paying plenty for the privilege well, of being yeah. able to say that you can sit in traffic with the fastest SUV on the planet. But, uh, yeah, they do exist. <laughs> but but here is the thing. I mean, for, for the longest time, it was supercars were also referred to as exotic cars. And then that didn't become a high enough name anymore. There were too many of those, apparently. We had to create the new term, which was, was a littered. hypercar. So right. that's part of the question right. is what defines these? And And then we get into the other question, which is some of the cars that are almost attainable, the 911s, the Corvettes. Mm-hmm. Are these supercars? Are they hypercars? What are they? And, and if and then we get into bench racing, which we we don't really love on this show, but let's be honest, we all do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If the numbers of a Corvette match the numbers of a McLaren, are they classified the same? Well, that's just it. And it, you know, going back to I don't know, sixties, let's say eighties, seventies, somewhere in there, where cars started to become amazing. You know these aspirational attainable cars of that era Mm -hmm. you compare the numbers to middle of the road cars now like the toyota supra the brand new a90 supra that can crush crush many cars from the 80s that then were considered wow true this is hot this is awesome and so you see where the proliferation of technology and the proliferation of manufacturing and manufacturing techniques Mm -hmm. has taken us just engineering alone and you know what is learned over time is absolutely astonishing totally well i remember i mean look i i know on some levels depending on some of you listening i'm an old guy others of you listening i'm the young pup so it depends on where you are in the world but my point here is i am young enough to remember when it was a big deal for a car for cars to break six seconds zero to 60 yeah like yeah. that was like there, there were there were the crazy cars that could break five but if you broke six your car was quick right so that's why when the toyota 86 came along and it was zero to 60 in 6.5 seconds part of me was like that's actually decently quick everybody else is like that's a snail because there's minivans right. that do less than seven seconds now yeah anyway right they've got turbo screwed to them and for sure you know dodge durango srts now with a hellcat engine yes you know, makes well, what's up there with the things he's asking about here with the Urus and the, the Q8 and the X5M? I mean, ridiculously fast. We, honestly, the X5M piece, if you haven't seen that fast oh. blast from us, is yeah. one of the fastest on-camera pieces we've ever done. It was With a five, quick. an X5. Yeah. And yeah. keep in mind, uh, granted, there's a lot of things that play into that. Roads, how we feel that day, how what the traffic is. All of these are factors. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to deny it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that is, that's certainly in the top 10 of the fastest we've ever driven on camera. And it's a big old SUV. <laughs> it's astonishing. It was the competition version of that, which is how it should be built from the first place. Yes. There shouldn't be a BMW that isn't the competition flavor. There shouldn't. <laughs> that's the thing. Once they make the competition version of whatever, it's always like, oh, this is what it should have been. <laughs> right. It's very Don't bizarre. I understand yeah. that. So Daniel goes on to talk about this distinction, the line. Is it because all supercars and hypercars have their own individual chassis? Mm. And his question is, is the Corvette now a supercar? Or is the 911 and one of the variants of the 911 a super or hyper car? Which is, which I'd love that. I want to stop there real quick because okay. his question is, the 911 comes in what, 31 flavors now or something? I guess. He's, he's kind of hinting at the fact that he doesn't feel like the 911 – is a supercar or hypercar, but by the time you get to GT2 RS, does it qualify? Because <laughs> yes. it now is, let's be honest, a variant of the one that we aren't looking at as a supercar. I'm just going to go right now to Corvette and 911. Okay. All right. They are neither supercars nor hypercars. Okay. All and right. my reason for that is because they are not limited. They're going to keep building them if we keep buying them. 
Okay, fair We're enough. not going to make fair 600. Enough. We're not going to make 6,000. If everybody on the planet wanted a Corvette or a 911, those two companies would keep cranking them out. And I fair think limited, cap- limited availability is one of the first factors that defines both supercar and hypercar. The original Mustang, okay, was like the best-selling car ever when it came out. And Ford just essentially said, every time you come buy one, we'll keep making them, okay? But that is the thing about the Corvette and the 911. While they don't sell massive volume, they don't limit for, oh, you know what? We're done. We're done. We're done making those. It's like mm. somebody else is coming and made an order. We're going to order another one. Mm. I think this distinction, I, I do pick up on what you're saying, and I tend to agree with you. Because my definition for hypercar the, the line keeps moving, and it'll move yeah, it each decade, yeah. and it'll continue to move because of the proliferation of tech and the proliferation of electric power in the hottest high-end cars. Sure, sure, sure. Because it just does offer torque, and the proliferation of battery technology, it's, it's going to keep going, okay? I don't know at what pace, but we're going to see more. But for now, hypercar indicates to me an investment by a company in a car that they know isn't necessarily built or is going to make them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But they're spending a lot of money on the development and the engineering, and they're pouring resources and time and effort into this that is absolutely inexplicable from a business decision. Mm. Unless you're way out there at the Pagani level or something like that. But let's take the Bugatti Chirons and you know the you know, all these Paganis and whatever mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. Way out there at this level, they're they're putting manufacturing and engineering into this that is not justifiable, really. I mean, Koenigsegg is out there, Mm -hmm. I would say. But for normal car companies, this is just, this is not good business. Mm -hmm. Interesting point. But they're they're pushing on these cars to push them out there to attain numbers that most of them won't be driven like that. It's almost a showcase more than anything. It really is, even though they have to be able to back that up. Sure. They have to ultimately perform as advertised. Mm But I think that you know companies that put that kind of engineering and resources, ultimately some of that stuff will trickle down into some normal cars. The Hopefully. rest of us can afford. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ideally, it's still driven by racing. But to be honest, in my opinion, the really the only series that has any trickle down effect whatsoever is Formula One, hmm. and that's you know you probably would agree with me. Formula E is pretty interesting to me from a uh, electric standpoint, yeah, where that's yeah. going to be pushing development of cars and well, what it's they a race, learn from that. Totally. And it's a race series that one of the strategies is how you use your battery. That's crazy to it me. It is yeah. cool. Very interesting. Very, very yeah. interesting. But Formula One, I, I think the rest are just purely for entertainment. Le Mans is up there. I will give you Le Mans because that is, you know, man and machine and that sure, is, yeah, yeah. you know, that's the, the main focus is Human beings and the machines, can you last that long? That's how it was conceived. But now it's, you know, a lot of cars are test beds for that. But pushing it way out there, (laughs) a lot of companies cannot justify building a hyper crazy car. Yeah. Unless it does something to trickle down. Mm -hmm. The GT2 RS is now every bit as good in performance as the 918 Spider. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's almost no point for us to lust after the 918 Spider anymore. Except I do. And yet we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? But, you know, I'll, these are my definitions and these are loose, I realize, but for me the supercar has to be over $100,000 to get in one. Okay. It's got to be limited build numbers. Now, what's interesting if you think about 
the, the companies I think of when I think of supercars, Ferrari, McLaren, Lamborghini, and even like Aston Martin, there's also just limited numbers because of capacity. They, they, they can't make hundreds of thousands. They just don't have the capacity. They, they will be limited number because they can only move this many of that model through this year. Okay. 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 But over 100,000, limited build numbers, crazy stats. Okay. They have okay. to have that kind of, my car can't do that kind of stats. That doesn't mean other supercars can't do it. I know there's kind of like the the category now is you get under four seconds. You get somewhere in the low threes. That's supercar territory. astounding. Okay. So that all supercars should do under four seconds. And I know I'm looking at stats, but follow me anyway. Cost over a hundred grand and everybody can't have one. Not only just because of the price, but also because of the build numbers. Now for me, hypercar is a step further because it generally needs to cost more than most houses. Most hypercars are costing, you know, at least a half million, but most of them million and up, but at least a mm-hmm, half million. Mm-hmm. Extremely low numbers. Like they opened up the the ordering this morning and this afternoon, they're gone. Okay. Right, right. And to your point of creating something that is way out there that they may lose numbers, lose money on, they all have unusable bragging right numbers and features. Right. And I'll right. give you examples. Pagani, look at the interior. Yeah. Look at just the way the thing looks. The whole thing is jewelry. It's like a rolling watch, okay? So Mm -hmm. there's your bragging rights there. Can you use all the capability? Not really, but you had a million dollars or more to be able to spend on the car, and so your bragging right is have you seen the interior? Mm -hmm. You've got the Veyron and Chiron. Their entire bragging right is best of everything. Most luxurious, goes the furthest, has the highest top speed. Do I need to keep going? Zero to 60, all of the above. Right, You're driving it in traffic. The only one I ever saw in L.A. was always driving slowly. Okay. Yeah. But yet you can claim you can do it. The Lycan Hypersport, diamonds in the headlights. Remember that? The Porsche 918 <laughs> is a hypercar, while the 911 at similar stats is not even a supercar. Right. Because the 918, right. we made 918 of them. They are limited. This is the edge of our technology. All the Ferrari F cars, F40, F50, X60, F60, et cetera, those are all in this category because that is the cutting edge of their technology. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. makes them a hypercar. The Ford GT. Okay. Both Good one. the resurgence in the 2000s and the new one. But the resurgence in the, in the 2000s, think about this. Maintain the head-chopping doors. Yeah. yeah. And had a supercharged V8 when nobody else was doing that. Okay. Those are your bragging right parts of that. And retro styling. I'm driving a little Ma car, man. That doesn't carry over to the new one. But that era, that's why that was a hypercar. And now the price has gone through the roof. And, of course, everything Koenigsegg does is hypercar territory because they honestly, and this is going to sound weird, they don't really care if it references anything else. It's just True. we can True. do this. Have you seen what we've done? I keep thinking about the F40. And back then – the numbers were astounding. Nobody could believe the power output, the numbers. It's still impressive. There's now so many cars that can keep up with it or scare it or, you know, have as much pleasure driving that car, I'm sure. But that's still a holy grail kind of car. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what this means, the reason, Daniel, this caught my eye is because since that line in the sand keeps getting pushed due to technology and companies' mm. investment in carbon fiber and aero and, like I said, manufacturing techniques. You wouldn't believe how many rich people there are on the planet <laughs> that want to buy these things, and the price still has to go up. They, they have to put the engineering and the capabilities and the manufacturing yeah. and all this stuff, <laughs> exploring new manufacturing techniques just to make the one part or whatever that is – you still have to push on that because it pushes the price up. So mm, somebody's mm. going to buy it. 
Yeah, and just to be able to brag, I have diamonds in my headlights. Really? Well, it's really? Uh, that that's less so to me, but ultimately because this bar keeps getting pushed, that means normal cars like the Supra, like the Corvette keep getting so much better and better and better. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're now as normal people, normal buyers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can now experience the kind of performance that heretofore was in hypercar territory 30 years ago. You're right. Well, yes, and I'll go you Which one further. Which is crazy and cool to think it about. It is. And I, what I think is amazing is I think they're in general. Look, there are exceptions to what I'm about to say, obviously. But in general, your typical sports car now, something that doesn't quite qualify for supercar, is already at a capability beyond almost every person that will buy it. Indeed. And Indeed. I don't think in cars we've been there before. Yeah, the, I, I want to tell more about the CA Corvette, but we're waiting for that episode that to drop very because fun. there's yeah. a lot of discussion around cars that can overwhelm roads. Yeah, 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 and overwhelm drivers, and yeah. they're under a hundred grand. Yeah, it's amazing, and there's a lot of them now. There's a lot of really good stuff at that price point. For I sure. do think the 911 is one of the rare cars that can cross the line, though, mm. because it, you know the brand new 992 Turbo is easily two hundred thousand dollar car. Yeah, and it does yeah. have the power. It's it's not. You know, I was crazy looking at some of these, and mm-hmm. you know the engineering is there certainly, but, but the if, performance numbers that it puts out, the numbers sure is astounding. The C8 numbers are in this category, but I, I come back to the fact that if people keep bringing bags of money to the door, those companies will keep cranking those cars out. They will, and they're not going to stop. So they don't become unless it is the first one that's sold. They don't become collectors' items because oh my gosh, you have one of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the best example is the McLaren F1, which, yes, in its time was a hypercar. It <laughs> yeah. could be almost argued because of the numbers of the time. could almost be argued as the first hypercar because it's just a moonshot car out of nowhere. Okay? Right. But it's an example of being so rare that now the numbers are going up even if you put miles on them. The Corvette and the 911 are the opposite. Well, how many miles do you have? Well, which number is it? How, how, what special edition is it? If it's not a special edition with no miles and the factory delivery, nobody cares because they made up ton of them, and they will make a ton of them. And this is one of my questions. We raise it in the C8 piece, but it's no spoiler. I'm really curious about the C8 in three or four years, Mm. because at the time we drove it, everyone that saw it, that lost their mind seeing it, had never seen one in person yet. Okay. And I'm wondering about in a year or two, when people have them, and at your, your cars and coffee, instead of having, there's a C8, there's four. Are we going to get over it? Because okay, yeah, it stands to yeah. be a volume car for GM, which takes it <laughs> out of supercars. Strange way. But yeah, right there's, now, there's no limit on those. They'll, exactly. they'll make them. Exactly. But right yeah. now, nobody's really seen one. We were blessed to drive one. But by and large, most places you go, it's like, oh, I just saw my first C8. I keep seeing this on Instagram. People are at Cars and Coffee like, oh, I saw my first C8. That's still happening now. That's interesting. But in a couple of years, it's going to be, yeah, there's four here. <laughs> Daniel, we're already at the doorstep of many cars that are pure electric that are pushing it even more. The Pininfarina Batista, the Rematch, and also the Lotus Avaya. Yeah, yeah. That's two or three million dollars. Those are full electric electric. hypercars. You're absolutely right. Way out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're pushing on tech, and there's the the unknowns. Is it? going to survive is it going to burn down is it going to you know last a lot of charge cycles or is it just going to be another garage queen kind of thing are people yeah. going to track the daylights and the, that evaya is going to be dirty and you know caked with wouldn't track, that be cool 
you know, crap all over it. I would love to see that genuinely. That would be amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're already there with companies pushing on that. And that's why I say the line in the sand keeps getting drawn further and further out. Yeah, well. So now we can enjoy Supras and Corvettes and 911s that have this performance that will astound normal drivers. The level of technology and performance that is available, easily accessible right now, I find kind of astonishing. We were actually in, and there's a piece coming in a while, but we were in a uh, Cadillac XT6 today. Mm-hmm. It's a big seven-seater family hauler from Cadillac. It's on the same frame as the Acadia. Nothing I've said so far is, wow, that's impressive. I get it. Mm-hmm. But you put your foot in it in that car, and you cannot believe how fast it accelerates. Mm. And it also, yeah. if you think about it, numbers-wise, it's not like it has some crazy number. It's 310 horsepower, like 270 pound-feet of torque, yeah. nine-speed transmission, yeah. weighs a lot. And yet, you put your <laughs> weighs foot, a lot. But you put your foot to the floor, and you sit there and go, Okay, this, honestly, I think about it in the terms of like a sports car 10 years ago couldn't touch this thing. Which is nuts. It's genuinely quick. Which is nuts. Which is, yeah, crazy that we're there, let alone the X6, um, pardon me, the X5Ms and those madness. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is important. This applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all of the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. I know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss a deal on that perfect car. Autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. Tom W. is writing to us from Frankfurt, Germany. He works for a European OEM, and he says, you know, no enthusiast cars in their current hatchback crossover lineup. Okay. On his doorstep, he has the great driving roads of the Taunus. So this is the forested area that has great driving roads. It's, you know, low trees, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. It's just to the northwest of Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. It's a two-hour drive. He says there's an infamous toll road out that way, too. Wait, what is that one? I'm trying to think. The Nurbur something? I don't know. My dad sure. pronounces it the Nurbur Ring. I, 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 I Seriously? It doesn't matter how many times I tell him. doesn't matter. Just It's, <laughs> it's the, the Nurbur Ring. And he tells, he tells other people about how his son goes to the Nurbur Ring. I'm like, you're just making this worse. It's, just, it's getting oh, worse man. every time you tell the story. He's super proud of me and my photography project. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> Your advanced photography you project. You know it, man. It's quite way. advanced. Now, Tom can drive 100 miles per hour plus every day on the Autobahn when the he's got the de-restricted sections. I love it. So, you know, if he's working late, traffic's not too bad. He says this is a rush, but the novelty wears off after 15 years of living in Germany. Mm-hmm. And there's always a bigger fish in the outside lane. Probably Usually. a black sedan of the, some the kind. black Audi. Yeah. Likely. Moving quickly. Yes. He is just finishing a significant money pit house restoration <laughs> that okay. got in the way. And yeah. it distracted him from spending any significant money on his car addiction in the last few years. He's got a history here of uh, 2009. He sold a Mazda MX-5 NC. Okay. Third generation. He bought together with his now wife. Really loved the shifter. Compensated for the lack of power. And he didn't love the floaty suspension. Okay. Interestingly, apparently took it on a memorable Melia, Melia trip, used it for a few ski trips to the Alps, skis on the luggage rack. Love it. Very In 2012, cool. he sold his dream car, an 06 Lotus Elise 111R, mm. for which he had been saving since graduating. 
Well, his now wife got car sick and didn't want to go for enthusiastic drives in that car. <laughs> that car, that yeah, that car is tough to be a passenger in. Genuinely tough to be a passenger in. My so, wife tolerates <laughs> it when we go out in the Lotus. She'd rather be driving. She'd she much she prefer. loves to drive it. She'll tell you to get out. And, she loves to you know, drive it. She finds riding in it to be questionable after a short period of time. Yeah. All right. So they uh, sold that, but the current garage is a Ducati Sport Classic PS 1000 LE. Okay. It's his dream bike. Very occasional commuter. Used re- relatively short early morning weekend rides. Like it. He's done a few Alp tours with his dad and the Classic Bike Owners Club. And at the end of 2012, he acquired a 1972 BMW 3.0 CS. Ooh. He found this while searching classifieds for a cheap E30 all-season commuter and track car. <laughs> During that search, okay. Tom says, they test drove an ex-Caterham Academy car which has always been in the back of his mind, and now his wife has declared she will never get in another seven. (laughs) We're done. We tried that. That's not happening ever again. (laughs) He test drove a slightly ratty and smelly 325i, and he was unconvinced because it didn't have an LSD. And then, you know, he noticed a few, his wife noticed a few E9 coupes in the pre-90s BMW classified searches, and he said, in our price range, they needed too much body work. But... He did find that clean 3.0 CS, and after an inspection and a test drive, he says it was clear it needed mechanical love, but the price was right. So they drove it home, and the coolant exploded over the windshield <laughs> on the Autobahn on the drive home because he didn't bring a trailer. Yeah, exactly. Well, what's interesting is he sent photos of it, and it is really pretty, Tom. It's really, really pretty. It's not the flashiest ever, obviously, but, man, it's nice. He says... It gets seasonal use, fair weather commute, and sometimes the car event driving to her car. Like it. But the year after they acquired it, it became the wedding car. Mm-hmm. The year after that, baby arrives. Congratulations. Okay. Complications, yep. No meaningful seat belts, which means no child seat. <laughs> I, like, I like meaningful seat belts. They're in here. <laughs> Technically, it has them. Nobody really is confident in what they will do. Speaking of the mechanical work, he says if he keeps it, he'll need to spend money on the triple Weber setup and a better seat belt installation you know, because he'd rather have the Webers instead of the Solex set up. And, okay, well, so been, the Solex has been causing him problems. So yeah. he, he kind of feels like that is the crossroads of this car, is if I keep it, that is a definite increase. So yikes. All right. Well, the current plan is to reduce to one company slash lease cars. The second car is not really being driven, and they're both mostly home office. Okay. As the main family daily, the next company lease will be an electric hatch or crossover, whatever his wife decides on. Or whatever color old, color their now three-year-old chooses. <laughs> I love this. What, what color should we pick? You're going to wind up with something fantastic, I guarantee you. I don't think children pick gray cars. I'm just putting it out there. That's true. There's no That's whole true. Like, I want gray. Three, gray. That, that doesn't happen. No, not happening. <laughs> You're getting a Kia Seltos because it comes in that weird yellow color now. Yes, it's like for sure. Limey yellow. Mm-hmm. So in the near future, he would like to add a second daily that's a more focused driving machine with an exploitable chassis. I like it. He loved the communication and pureness of the Elise, yes, but at his skill level, he says he was definitely not playful on the limit. That's not your skill level. That car is not playful on the limit, just Uh-oh. so you know. The, 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 it's either, hey, I got this, I got this, boom, or no, I don't. I mean, look, there. Are, tr- trust me, there are people that are much better drivers than me. I'm not claiming to be a master driver in the Elise, but I do find it funny because that is not known to be a forgiving car when it all goes wrong. But anyway, go on. All right. Well, he has always wanted to do some track days and autocross to really find the limit and improve his driving. Okay. So, should he keep the classic BMW and add a second, you know, 
somewhat good value, reliable, fun performance daily for 10,000 euros, maybe a small monthly payment. It's got to be year round, an enthusiast car, four seats, short commute, maybe the Sunday morning bread run. He said it'd be great if he could manage the annual trip to Le Mans. It's about six to eight hours away. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. He says, you know, GT86 after his 111R experience would need to be forced induction, which I get. I get, you know, you're well, he, down on power there. And then he asks me, he said, look, the, the 86, he feels like could answer this question, but he's asking me, he says, if I had an 86 now after having the Lotus, would I start with the same mods? Would I add forced induction? What would I do? I'll tell you, having driven the 86 Hakone edition recently, and we have it actually in season seven, twice, in fact, because we compare it to different things. That car, honestly, what it must have is good tires and a tune to get rid of the torque dip. Mm-hmm. And I think with those two things, I could be happy in that car. I really do. I th- the, the torque dip is so maddening in that car, and the tires just let it down. It is a fun car. You're talking about wanting something that's exploitable, and you can use it at 9 and 10 tenths. Yes, absolutely. One of the best rear-wheel drive, docile, and acceptable platforms I've ever driven. It's up there with the Miata. It's just, go out and hoon this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, and then drive that. it slowly later. So it is great, and I would not apologize if I got another one of those. I can see your need for forced induction if you go – and look, I am not recommending that car to you. That's not on my list. You've already, you're, okay. car, it's already okay. on your radar. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that is the car for you. I like that it's on your list. I think you should look into it. I think if you did tires and a tune to solve the torque dip, you'd be, be surprisingly happy with it in your usage. But I still am not. I've still went other ways because I wanted to go other places. Okay. Okay. Well, he's also asking, would we go like M235i, M240, or an older 135i, or the 335, 340? He says, in Germany, these are all very normal cars, not mm-hmm. in any way exotic. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. get it. Sort of like Mustangs in America. They're totally. Yeah. Mustangs everywhere. We get it. All right. So he says, or Paul, should I sell things, mm-hmm. go big, and with the company lease, reduce to a two-car garage? And in that case, the second car must still be a year-round daily with four seats so the family can join on occasion. At that point, he's got $35,000 mm-hmm. in plus a small monthly, and that would be possible. Okay. Like it? Again, short commute. The bread run on Sunday mornings, trackable, and again, the trip to Le Mans must be fun, exploitable. He says, if possible... He doesn't want to lose money on it, and it either either needs to be a classic status, minimum 30 years old, mm. or European emissions and CO2 medium-term future proof. Okay. By the way, Tom, I've been up to Bad Nauheim, up north of you, about 90 minutes or so. So this was where the therapeutic waters of the, the springs area, that whole area is known for sort of, you know, springs and healing. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's the Elvis Presley house up there in Bad Nauheim. <laughs> okay. I've actually stayed at a hotel up there. Not in that house, but anyway. So I, I love that area. It's actually pretty gorgeous. Interesting. I have the car that I think you should get. Okay. The one car. Good for you. And indeed, Tom, I do think you should reduce to a two-car garage for now. Mm-hmm. Because you've got that lease car, the company car, whatever that is, that'll be the toaster you can drive to work. Mm-hmm. Your wife can rely on. So totally. you've got yeah, that yeah. solved. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which have is great. Which is wonderful. Do anything else than just be really pleasing. And again, I'm coming back to the BMW 1M. Okay. Because right. you've got 35000 So what if you spend fifty? Could you? Could you do it for 50,000 mm, euro mm. and get one? And okay, so you put a lot down and then make the payment. Here's the issue. It's a 2011 car. 
But surely they're still around Germany. Surely Mm -hmm. people still have these and they'll be able to meet the CO2 requirements that's being imposed. I'm, I'm hoping that's the case because they are kind of the unicorn classic status and they do everything you want, but it's Mm -hmm. still going to be reliable. It's still going to be able to take, you know, four seats for the family. You can, you can take it on the road trip to Le Mans. Mm -hmm. You can bomb down the Autobahn on that thing. You can go to the tracks. Yeah. 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 That is the one car that I want you to have again because of dynamics, because of shifting. You've experienced these, uh, these other small cars. You experienced the, you know, Lotus and the Mazda and all that stuff, which is wonderful. And I'm glad you're there, but as much as I love that CS and as gorgeous as it is, I don't hear you driving it a lot. I hear you owning it. Mm-hmm. He owns it. And also, he's now up against the wall of realizing, if I'm going to keep this, I have to put money into it. That mm-hmm. he, that mm-hmm. I, I hear some reluctance from Tom. Like, Interesting. If sure. I keep this, sure. yeah, I have to do these things. Sure. And, and sure. I think, Tom, you're at the cusp of, you clearly you like it. But I also feel like you're at a place where you could let it go. So I, I'm with you there. I think that's the answer. I think the 1M is unique enough to be to lean towards that CS to say, mm-hmm. ha, it's unique. It's kind of classic. Never be built again. One yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. You don't see him around that much. True, true, true. But it's still a modern enough car to be able to rely on and still mm-hmm. have fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the car to take to the whatever that ring track that you were talking about somewhere. Yeah, that weird place. I don't remember where that is. You can take it there. You can take it Autobahn. You can Mm -hmm. drive it to the store. You can do the Sunday morning bread run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And just be thrilled that you own this because ah, it's it's a once in a lifetime kind of chance to own those things, I think. That's good. I I actually have, I I thought of that. I'm glad you went there. I've got a couple that I want to recommend and a couple of wild cards. But before I move on, I want to say one last thing about the 86. I touched on it mostly already. Here's the one thing about the 86 I didn't take into consideration we were talking this through. If I had the Autobahn, the 86 would annoy me a lot. I agree. I, now, if you were driving it on back roads and that kind of stuff, I think you would love it, even without a supercharger. Every time you got on the Autobahn and it was de-restricted, you'd be like, this car's disappointing. But that's not the world I live in. You know what I mean? Renault, Renault, Renault. Yow, yow, yow. It, it's, it's just not the, it's not the world I live in. I had mine at 125 miles an hour once, and that was absolutely everything it had. It was me and my wife and my son, 125 miles an hour, and it had, it had no more. That was it. Sure. And I'm I mean, thinking, force induction would give it more, but I of think course it would. speeds above that, you'd just be like, yeah, yeah I so don't I, think so. That's not a car for auto, your Autobahn usage. And so taking that into consideration makes me go, how are you going to use this? And since Autobahn is a part of it, it's another reason I think the 86 isn't for you, even though I do love it. And I would stay simple. Here's two that I think you should really consider. And this, again, we're selling the uh, the CS, we're which selling is very CS. nice, which is very, very nice. Yeah. yeah. Buy yourself an M2. The two, M, M235 is not enough in this instance. Buy yourself an M2. A mm. used M2, first, first year M2 before they went competition, is a fantastic car. It is. It is. I and agree. you can get them for a discount. Now you're not paying new prices. Now that car is going to drop in value, but you don't have to go buy a brand new one. You could buy a used M2, first year M2. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. That's a perfect Autobahn bomber. It's great. We've driven it on the ring. It's great it's on great. the ring. I mean, yeah. you and I were fighting over the keys the year we were driving it on the yeah, ring. Yeah, we did. Like and we like the M235 on the ring. The M2 was the business. So it would be <laughs> great is, on the ring, great on the Autobahn. It can absolutely do the whole family thing. It's a new modern car. M2, done. Mm. The other one in that category, how much Porsche Pan American can you afford? That is a fantastic dad Interesting. bomber. You could take it to the ring. We've seen them on the ring. Yeah, 
I mean, it's not. And they're moving. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, tires and brakes, you, you will go and throw them just like you will on the, on the M2. But that is a car you can absolutely drive on the ring. And it will saw across the country on the Autobahn and you will be cackling. Mm. Okay, so mm-hmm. how much Porsche Pan American you afford? Those are my two major recommendations for you. And then okay. I have two wild cards. Oh, okay. Because okay. neither of them are quite right. For examples, I will share. <laughs> okay. You loved your Elise. Technically, the Evora is a four seat car. No. Oh. <laughs> it is, technically. Why didn't I see that? Coming? I don't think you'd be enjoying much of a Lama family road trip unless you packed extremely light. Yeah, but uh, maybe hey, maybe you're a great packer. Maybe you guys can. Maybe, with a big roof rack. The maybe big, maybe your wife is small and your child can be right behind her and you can make it work. Mm. I mean, we we have yeah. the, the, one of the Avoras we drove. It was used daily as the school bus. Okay, so it, it's doable, but I don't know that that's gonna. Ha- I, I think you'd love it if you get an Avora 400. You would have so much fun in that car. It is. It's everything you liked about the Elise with the usability you didn't have. Usability is a uh, strong word there. Well, compared to the Elise. Compared yes. to the Elise. But compared to the, sure. the Panamera or the M2, it's yeah. still laughable. Yes. So that's why that's a wild card. The other one's a wild card. is a wild card because of the brand. You live in Germany, in Frankfurt, you work for an OEM, you drive the Autobahn a lot. How do you feel about pulling up an Alpha Julia Quadrifoglio? Is that allowed? You okay with that? Because that is a fantastic Aww. dad bomber car. I would love that on the Autobahn. I would drive that on the ring any moment I could. That would be brilliant on the ring, actually. That would be a fantastic dad car. I think you would love that every time you drove it. But I don't know that car in Germany. And I'm genuinely asking, that car in Germany, is that okay? Or is that like, what did you do? Okay, well, that's the question. I think over time and over the years, there's plenty of enthusiasts that work for the American car companies and drive something else. Mm -hmm. That is okay. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, the... Ford or Chevy kind of tattoos, you know, sort of those exist. Yes. You know, family lineage sort of mm-hmm. thing that you can't, you're not allowed, but if you work for a company, you can, you can drive a Mustang and you yeah. work for GM. That's actually okay. That does happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's, I, I think it's accepted, but it's not sort of like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Don't own yeah, yeah. our products. Please don't buy our stuff. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's quite that far. I'm wondering how it is. In Europe, mm-hmm. to be honest. And I don't know what the, the Alpha Quadrifoglio perception is. I mean, the thing I think is funny here is that I don't see very many Julias at all. And when I see one in any capacity, it turns my head because they're just not that common. I mean, they're beautiful. F- 15 BMWs yeah. went by and look, there's a Julia and I noticed. Okay. And I think that would be the Quadrifoglio in Germany. And I think it could be really, really cool. And I think you'd love driving it. I just don't know about that car in your world. Summer's here, and with that comes sunshine and blistering hot car interiors. I know that leather seat seemed like a great idea at the time until you scalded your legs. All you need is a custom sunscreen from Covercraft. These foldable sunscreens fit perfectly in the windshield of your car, and they keep your car a lot cooler while you're off enjoying the sunshine or whatever you're doing. I have used these for years, and I'm telling you, I swear by them. These custom sunscreens from Covercraft are available in a whole range of colors, and they're a simple, affordable way for you to keep your car cooler all summer long and protected from damaging UV rays all year long. We swear by our custom sunscreens from Covercraft. It's one of our favorite car accessories. And remember, you can get 10% off your car sunscreen by using the code EVERYDAY right now at Covercraft.com, or you can follow the link from our sponsors page. We don't talk about heel-toe enough, nearly enough. We touch on it a little bit. We do. We touch on it now and then. You're right. Yeah, there's yeah. plenty of information on the internet to yes. learn how and show you and demonstrate how. But there's a question from Jeff Rideout who mm-hmm. asks, how do we heel-toe? Is our 
right foot rotated clockwise with your heel on the brake and your toe on the gas or counterclockwise. Jeff does clockwise, but most internet how-tos, he says, depict counterclockwise. Does it depend on the car and the pedal layout, he says, on the Mazda 3 that he can use left half of foot to brake, right half to blip the throttle with almost no foot rotation? You've exactly described it. Mm. And so I think both I can speak for both you and I, we are counterclockwise. Yes. So mostly your big toe of your right foot is, you know, mostly covering the brake and your you know, the right side of your back of your heel mm-hmm. is kind of blipping the throttle. But you don't need to wrench your foot. You don't need to break your ankle and turn it sideways. Yeah. You know, there's when you're full on racing and that kind of thing, there are racers who do that and they're almost sideways. Yeah. But for most driving, most heel and towing you're right. It's almost like half and half of your foot mm-hmm, covering mm-hmm. the brake, covering the gas. It definitely depends on the car. And that's when you hear us say, this car isn't really set up for heel and towing. That's what we mean. Mm-hmm. The pedal spacing is too wide or it's made for, you know, to accommodate every foot. But you have to yeah. lift your leg and pull it over. But generally speaking, we're counterclockwise. We are. And there's uh, – well, I'll tell you the reason I do it, Jeff, is because when I was learning – I was so aware of the fact that all the nuance that I was used to using with the brake pedal was for the ball of my of my foot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so now trying to learn nuance of the brake pedal with the heel of my foot was totally wrong. Plus, when I was learning to drive, if I don't heel toe now, I'm using the same part of my foot approximately the same part of my foot on the brake, whether I'm heel toeing or not. Mm-hmm. So yeah, now it's just yeah. what am I doing with the back half of my foot? That's what I can use to, to blip the throttle. And that's why my foot ends up going counterclockwise. It's the same brake motion. And then what am I doing with my heel to blip the throttle? I was able to learn how to add that without completely rethinking how I use my foot. I will add, Jeff, that it works primarily for top hinged pedals. Mm. Your setup is a bit different. When you drive a floor hinged pedal, Get your foot is far more sideways. You're right. You're right. The reason is that top hinge, if your heel is at the bottom, very low down on the throttle, well, that means the end of that lever has a lot of throttle travel, and you can modulate that with your heel pretty easily. If it's bottom hinged, well, you're just kind of pushing on the hinge. Mm. So in my Cayman, is it is actually a top hinged brake pedal, but a bottom hinged accelerator pedal. So if I were to heel toe, I'd have to really readjust. Of course, it's PDK and I don't, but I'd have to really turn my foot even more counterclockwise to get to the top of mm. the throttle where it has more motion Interesting, available. interesting. And then the Lotus is uh, so narrow that my dad had to take his shoes off to drive. So that's how close those pedals are. Now, he didn't flip the throttle at all, but I can actually, with a roll of my foot, I don't even have to can't, with right. a roll of my foot, I can blip the throttle on that car because the pedals are right. so You're close. Right, the outside edge of your foot. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Bob Wright is asking one of those fighting words questions. This keeps coming around. He said he read in a Road and Track article that the wind buffeting on the new Supra is terrible with the windows at any level of down. Cracked, Ooh. halfway down, all the way down. It's a deal breaker. It, that, that's how he's listed it, that it is a deal breaker. Now, Two things. First off, watch all of our super piece where we compared the two supers, the three liter and the two liter. And I also want to note that in that piece, all we are worried about is talking about supers. We have supers against other things in other pieces. People have been like, you guys just love this. Toyota must have paid you. Well, now we're just talking about supers right now. When we put the Supra against actually this coming Saturday on Motor Trend is the rerun of the super piece with the yeah, right. M2 and the Cayman. Right. So that you can hear us compare it. Also, uh, we have a super piece of the two liter 
coming against the 86, its stepbrother. That's coming to TV and coming to YouTube. So we have plenty of comparison stuff coming up. At the end of that super versus super piece, though, the two-liter versus the three-liter, we go on a bit of a rant. No, that's not fair. I go on a bit of a rant about this buffeting mm-hmm. because we've heard it before. A couple of things. First off, I don't think uh, – everybody's different. I don't think what I can do with the windows is a deal breaker for a car ever. Uh, that's just my opinion. I've had plenty of sports cars. Many of them have had terrible buffeting. I'm looking at my old 300ZX and shaking my head. The buffeting on that car was horrific, and I loved it. Okay? <laughs> Getting everything sealed with the T-tops is just it was, it was awful. such an engineering exercise. So there's all of that. But um, but I will say this. There, there apparently are, is an aftermarket buy that's like a little thing you put on your mirrors that mostly solves it. Buffeting is created by mirrors versus the height of the windows, and the height of the windows on the Super is small. They're small on the Lotus, for that matter. So I don't think it's a deal breaker. I do know that there is something you can put on the mirrors to solve it. I don't think – what does the buffeting do? I'll give you two, and I mentioned them both in the Super piece. Where I can put my left arm on the windowsill and does it have buffeting are never considerations for me personally when buying a sports car. Agreed. And I don't think they should be a reason to not buy the Supra. Agreed. But I do understand people use cars differently. Lewis P. on Facebook says, what would be the best name to bring back as an electric car? If it were a sports car, he was thinking Dodge Viper or bring back Pontiac, but make GM's electric sports car brand, similar how they're making Hummer, hopefully, by bringing that back as electric. He says he thinks Volkswagen has a great opportunity with the Beetle name, but they might be thinking about the bus as an electric too. Could this be the best way for Volkswagen to you know, get behind or get past Dieselgate. I, I feel like we're starting to get past. Volkswagen mm-hmm. still really doesn't even want to pronounce the word. I feel like they've forgotten that word entirely. Diesel. What is that? I, I don't know this word. Lewis, I think we're running into a problem by thinking this way. And that is the Mustang Mach-E. I think oh, if we start to do that, mm-hmm. we're going to run into... Well, that's not a real Viper. That's electric. That's supposed to have a V10 in it. That's not a real Viper. <laughs> Grr. And if we start to do that with cars that exist and the way that we all know them and have history in our lives with them, mm. I think there's going to be resistance. Again, like the Mustang Mach-E. Most people okay. that okay. we have talked to and that write to us, you guys writing to us, have said, no, no, you guys are out of your minds for doing this. Mm-hmm. I think there will eventually be an acceptance because it is how it is. I don't think Ford's backing off that one personally <laughs> as much as, yeah, you know. You're right vitriol as we give them, but I don't think they're going to be backing off of that. It's justified some styling exercise things about that, and so I attack that in one of my design videos. But if we start to do this, I think it's going to be you know, some some anger, some built-up feelings mm. about <laughs> if we start to rename, well, it's back. There are a few cars, to your point, like the Volkswagen bus, mm-hmm. that could be brought back that way, that I think people will be open mm-hmm. to. Because the bus isn't really... A name, I, I guess it is van again, and you know that kind of thing. But it isn't really. It's a Volkswagen bus. It's a yeah, bus. Yeah, yeah. So in that sense, making it electric, it's not a real name associated with it. It's not like mm. this hallowed name. It's just okay. We like that. Make it electric. The twenty one window EV. Yeah. See, th- there's there's going to be an ongoing perception issue that will need to be overcome by the public before we can, you know, allow this. Unless the car manufacturers just decide to throw caution in the wind like Ford has and just rename everything. Like, just, hey, here's our most hallowed name. It's not like you think. It's nowhere even close. Here you go. 
<laughs> on Instagram, Malufius512 said uh, he wanted to thank us for talking about looking farther down the road to help your driving in our canyons piece because it helped him while driving in Forza. <laughs> awesome. I think that's hysterical. Uh, I, that was not the intention, but I'm glad that it helps. Honestly, any time that you can learn, that's not fair, practice looking farther down the road, I think it helps. Every time you and I drive, Mm. In Forza, in any sim game, in any road, going down a canyon, you have no idea, guys, how often I'm telling myself, eyes up, look farther yeah, down the road. I'm doing constant. it all the time. And every time I do, I end up driving better. I can't even tell you enough how important that is. Mm. Interesting. All right. Savior JW on Twitter asks us about our opinion on a used Volkswagen e-Golf. Pricing currently has them in between the two small Fiat 500E and the two expensive Tesla Model S. I think it'd be fine. I think you'd enjoy it just fine. But what about the Chevy Bolt? Is it in any way the same price as what you're already looking at? Because you need to drive the the Bolt if you're considering the e-Golf. Yeah. I mean, the Golf may have the better interior, but the Bolt is a bespoke package to be a really good front-wheel I personally think it'll be more interesting long-term and more compelling than the e-Golf. I think you'll just think... Uh, it's not a GTI. It's not a Golf R. It's just See okay. Point. The dad wrench has a Miata RF that he loves. It's completely stock. But every time he sees someone else's Miata RF, he goes, is that what my car looks like? That rides too high. Mm. So that's interesting. So he's thinking he'd love to lower it by about an inch, but he wants to make sure it's still got a decent ride. Can he do springs? Does he need to go coilovers? What's going on there? Two things. First off, uh, don't do your own R&D. Don't do that. Don't just yes, try stuff. Yes. Go to an established Miata tuner. Now, Flying Miata is the first one I think at. They have whole suspension packages you can do. But go to somebody that is established that has set up a weave. Ideally, they've put it on a lot of NDs by this point. Ideally, they've even tracked it with those NDs, and they can tell you. What I love is when you have a tuner that says, this is better for more street use, this is better for more track use, and they know the difference. Still be careful. I mean, when you start lowering stuff, you have more rubbing issues. I actually have uh, some coilovers on my Lotus that make it lower, and uh, depending upon the tires, I can get fender rubbing, so I have to be careful. So that one inch or so can be fine if you get the right suspension set up. Don't just throw parts at it. Go to an established Miata tuner if you're going to go that route. Springs may get it done, but I'm not going to pretend to know for sure. I do know that Flying Miata sells a uh, sway bar package that solves a lot of the major body roll that we don't love about that car, but it's still so fun. I love that you love yours. Tim on Twitter also was watching the IMSA race from Daytona. Yeah, I caught a little bit of that, Tim. He says, Mazda is dominating the prototype class. Yes, they are. They are currently in partnership with Multimatic. But he says they don't use this or capitalize on it in their promotion and advertising, and they don't really have a performance car. So the question he's got is, why even race? Or if you are, why not capitalize? Interesting. I'm with you. The, there is Mazda Motorsports, and they're doing amazing. As a matter of fact, they had a one-two finish at Daytona for Mazda Motorsports with Harry Ticknell and Oliver Jarvis. I yeah, they were. These teams are amazing. Mazda is killing it, and I'm kind of with you. But Mazda has shied away from having this motorsports image. Interestingly, even though they're still participating and winning at a high level, I, I'm kind of shocked. I, I like it when racing trickles down, but to be honest, to most of the buying public, that doesn't matter. Mm. 
Most mm. people don't really care. They don't see the connection. But for all of us enthusiasts and see Mazda and you think, well, Mazda do, is doing awesome. I might consider a Mazda. Mm. That, that's kind of the thread. There's, there's a lot of distance between those two thoughts, but that's kind of where they want you to go is theoretically. Yeah. Look at what we're doing. But here's Hyundai with their N brand, on the other hand, crushing it. And everybody's going, yes, N everything. Apply N <laughs> to everything. Like open up the tub of N, yes. spread it on that car. Scoops of N for everyone. Make that the N thing. I love it. And, you know, us as enthusiasts are loving that. And back to our conversation at the top of the podcast, people want that performance. And now those cars are actually providing a feeling that cars never used to do. Which is amazing. So I, I'm with you. I don't know. I, I can't really explain it. I don't know why they're not using this more to their benefit to push that. But to be honest, they have chosen a different route than motorsports as their theme. Savior JW on uh, Twitter actually asked an interesting question. Track Daily Crush, he is specifically shopping for less than $20,000 non-Miata convertibles. So mm. the Miatas are out. He says, Track Daily Crush, the C6 Corvette Targa base model 6-speed, the 987 Boxster S 6-speed, and the AP2, that is the second, the revision of the S2000. Mm-hmm. Track Daily Crush. Uh, the vet gets crushed here. The base I'm model and Targa, it's, yeah. it's fine, but it's not going to be as fun as the other two, which leaves the Boxster and the AP2. Track the AP2 daily, the 987 Boxster S. Isaac W. Redinger on Instagram says, if hybrids and electrics are supposed to be green, why are their badges blue? <laughs> Go ahead and Lexus and the Civic Hybrid and the Hyundai Blue Drive. They're all blue. I think it's the middle ground for all of these companies to embrace that. Mm. And it's not being too overt, but there's, it's not just green. It's more, you know, electricity and jolts of lightning and that kind of thing is kind of where they're thinking, I think. I guess it's so confusing and completely ridiculous. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, Jaguar comes out with their electric car that doesn't have E in the name. It's the I pace. Meanwhile, the E pace don't get the E pace expecting electric. Cause that just means smaller. That was the just wrong. Uh, Talk about mixed yeah. up thinking there. That Completely, yeah. They've tried to make it work, but I, yeah, they need to fix it. We'd all be like, okay. <laughs> they well, need to not do that. You're That's joining the, the rest of us where Here we you are with were. your fix videos. Sometimes the fix is don't do that. <laughs> guys, thank you for your questions. Really appreciate all your just, hey, guys, thinking about this. What do you think about this? Completely. We read everything. We, we love that you guys are interacting in so many different ways. Thank you to all of you that are patrons. Uh, that's becoming a little more of a thing because now the patrons apparently have a Sunday night racing league. So that's a whole thing. We have many board member patrons, and that's very cool to get your, your thoughts. If you haven't rated or reviewed this podcast or the show on Amazon or whatever, I'm telling you, weekly we are getting emails that show that somebody found the show because they found it based on ratings. So yes. thank you guys for doing that. Really appreciate it. We're looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.